We're back. Ah, we're back. We were gone, and now we're back. And we weren't even gone for like legal reasons. We were just gone because they said, "Oh, we're not having shows next last week." And so, you know, all these people are emailing me, and it was like, you know, no, I'm not dead. I'm not dead. I swear. But anyway, we're back. So welcome to the news for the week of 28 June 2020. TikTok bans. Oz increases cybersecurity budgets. The U.S. Senate wants the Justice Department to read all your mail. The top 10 bug bounties and blue leaks. All this Jason Wood returns as well on Security Weekly News. This is Security Weekly. For security professionals, by security professionals. It's the show that keeps you up to date on the latest security news twice a week. Your trusted source for accurate security information and expert analysis. It's time for Security Weekly News. As technology continues to evolve and expand, so have the countless ways our critical systems can be put in jeopardy. Ransomware attacks, misconfiguration, user error, and malicious threat actors, to name a few. As IT infrastructures continue to grow and diversify, how do you ensure stable security? Core Security, a help systems company, provides an analytics-driven, layered approach to security with a portfolio that enables both proactive and reactive responses. With Core Security, you can reduce risk by limiting access, detect upcoming and active threats, test for security weaknesses, and efficiently monitor data for actionable insights. To learn more, visit securityweekly.com forward slash core security. All right. So news it is. Uh, I put this first story on there because I wanted to remind you that all your users are now connecting to your systems remotely. So a lot of times we see these things pop up. And this morning I got a pop up from MSISEC and uh, it was a list of just about every Netgear device popped up on MSI Stick. And this is the, the, the CVE was actually old, or the notice from Netgear was a little bit older. But I get this notice, and you know it's a vulnerability list with a large number of Netgear products that can result in remote code executions, denial of service, et cetera, et cetera, if they aren't patched. So why did I put this in here? No, most of us aren't running Netgear devices in the enterprise, but if your users are running Netgear devices at home and they're connecting to your enterprise, you know, these things become uh, actually part of your problem. So it's a good idea to check out things, even if they're a little bit outside your realm, uh, because you've got all these home users now and they, and they're probably not going away anytime soon. I mean, I hate to tell you, but we're never getting back. The genie is not going back in that bottle. I don't care how bad we want it to. We're not going back to the old world of everybody working in a little office somewhere and driving in every day. I'm telling you, just wait and see. Uh, weaponizing TikTok. Well, that was how I put it. Well, after a recent border clash with China, India banned the use of more than 50, 59 to be exact, Chinese-based apps, which included TikTok, WeChat, Weibo, and Clash of Kings. I, 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 it's a game. I, I've never played it, but yeah, asking for a friend. But a whole pile of apps that belong to China. And to me, it looks like the response is, is political in nature rather than being, having somebody saying, well, these apps have some kind of inherent security risk to the, to the country of India. It has a huge impact on the Chinese companies who make the apps because India, if you aren't aware, has quite a few people living there. Uh, and TikTok has over 120 million users in India. So this may actually be a thing going forward is like, okay, well, this is kind of like the modern equivalent of economic sanctions, you know, like where you say, well, we're not going to let, we're going to put a tax on all your goods. India just says, look, we're going to ban all your apps. And that could actually be noticeable. So, you know, that little border dispute, uh-huh. 
Australia then announced that it was spending an additional $1 billion U.S. dollars on cybersecurity this year, which would increase their budget by about 10%, which is not, I mean, you know, the headlines like, oh, you know, massive increase, but it was really just 10%. But they did increase it. And the reason they said they were doing this was due to state-sponsored attacks on various components of the Australian government, which included the parliament, the political parties, and the universities. Boy, this all sounds awfully familiar. Um, but Australia had gotten Beijing upset earlier this year uh, because they had had some discussion and some politicians tweeting and all the kind of stuff that we're all very comfortable with or at least familiar with now about the origin of the coronavirus, and they accused Beijing of the attacks. China has, of course, denied these accusations and then turned around and made announcements in China that tourists should stay well away from Australia, and they imposed some trade sanctions. And I think they made some nasty remarks about Joff Thayer. I, I'm not sure exactly, but there was something like that. I think uh, if you translate the Chinese literally, I think it says something about Joff Thayer. But I'll leave that to you to decide. Uh, speaking of politics, then, the United States Senate uh, has produced another anti-encryption bill, which is apparently worse than the Earn It bill. Now, if you don't know about the Earn It bill, you probably should, but the Earn It bill was a plan which would allow the Attorney General's office and some shady commission to strip all sorts of protections from websites that do not follow their best practice lists um, that was determined by the government commission. Hmm, what could, go, what could possibly go wrong with that? So if they did that, they could literally say you can't use end-to-end -end encryption or whatever else the AG decides should be on this uh, bad behavior list. Very Chinese-sounding again. Uh, it's really hard to imagine any political bias in this. Yeah, no way that's going to come up. Um, but uh, this new one, so that was the Earn It bill. The new one is called the Lawful Access to Encrypted Data Act. I, I, I think there should be a law against naming bills things that sound bad if you vote against them. But the lawful access bill, which was introduced in the Senate, I don't know how it can be lawful if it's actually not a law yet, but whatever. Um, this new one gives the Justice Department the ability to require manufacturers of encrypted devices, operating systems, telcos, pretty much anyone they determine. There's no pesky commission in this bill either. It just all goes back to the Attorney General's office. And they require them to decrypt data at the request of the Attorney General. So what that means is that the Attorney General can literally write their own warrants and tell you you have to decrypt data that's on your systems. So it means I, no one was really clear that uh, if it went beyond like the opera, if it was on the operating system and you encrypted it, could they also force them to, to decrypt that as well? And if they say, well, they can't, then I don't know what the penalty is. It's really one of those far reaching, overreaching kind of things. But the bill also then establishes a prize for secure backdoors, and they pay researchers who find ways to break encryption and turn it over to the police. So this is kind of like a, I don't know, I don't know what to call this. But uh, anyway, as we've seen before, these are usually, uh, you know, just fool's errands, and maybe fool's errands on top of fool's errands, a la the, say, clipper chip debacle. Um, but it's very 1984 uh, type of action kind of stuff. So if the point-to-point -point and the end-to-end encryption is controlled by the government 
and you use some sort of secondary encryption, in theory anyway, the telco could be held responsible for breaking all that and providing it to the government if they request it for whatever reason they want. No way this gets used politically. Not a chance. This is not good for anyone, I assure you. Either side, I, it doesn't matter. Uh, if your side thinks it's great right now, they won't think it's great the, the, the time the other side has control. Hacker One, which is kind of the tender of bug bounties and matching people up, announced its list of top bounties paid on the annual list. So a, a top 10 countdown for that. At number 10, well, Airbnb paid out more than $944,000, uh, this is all U.S. dollars, with a top bounty of 15000 Number nine was Valve, who paid out more than $951,000 and a top bounty of $20,000. At number eight, GitHub paid more than $987,000 with $25,000 as a top award. Uh, number seven, Mail.ru, Russian internet provider. Uh, they paid out $1.1 million with a top bounty of $20K. GitLab uh, was at number six with $1.2 million and $20,000 as a top. But this isn't as interesting as I thought it was going to be. And the top five, so here's the top, I will read the top five. Uh, I should have just done five. Twitter was the num number five, paying more than $1.29 million and a top bounty of 20000 uh, 20000 very precise bounty here, $20,160. At number four, Intel, who paid more than $1.9 million in bug bounties. Number three is Uber, who paid uh, more than $2.4 million. I keep saying more than because they put greater than signs on the table. And a top bounty of fifty k from Intel. And the top two, at number two, PayPal, uh, with $2.79 million paid out and a top bounty of 30000 And at number one with a bullet, wow, Verizon, with $9.4 million paid out in bug bounties and a top bounty of 70000 They thanked 1,315 hackers with 5,928 resolved reports. Wow. So that's an interesting report. Uh, you do have to put in some information to get it, it's, but it's not a paywall. So if you want to read it, uh, feel free. Uh, Alexei Yurevich Burkhoff was sentenced to nine years in federal prison in the United States. Burkhoff was arrested at uh, Ben Gurion Airport in Israel, which is a very nice airport, uh, and Israel refused to return him to Russia. Uh, ultimately, he ended up extradited to the United States, which is a rarity anyway. Uh, and then there was years of finagling between the United States and Israel and Israel and Russia and on and on and on. If you don't know, Mr. Burkhoff was uh, convicted of running Card Planet and Direct Connection. Uh, Card Planet was a carding site. And uh, carding, if you, I mean, I, you probably know, but I'll just, just, just for everybody that maybe doesn't know, uh, they sell credit card and debit card numbers so that you can print your own cards. So this is a big industry, uh, illegal industry, uh, where they sell these things. Uh, so they steal a card number and they sell them for two to sixty dollars per number, depending on what kind of credit card, which country it was issued by, and so and how good it is and whatever. Um, but uh, it was another one of those sites where they have a money they have a money back guarantee on there. Like if the, if the number we sold you doesn't work, we'll give you another number. Uh, we'll give you two more numbers for free uh, and seven on Friday. Uh, Direct Connection was also reportedly a hangout for elite cyber criminals and exchange of malware goods and so forth. A lot of carding on Direct Connection as well uh, because they sold malware. They offered the service for developing malware. 
Uh, and it's, but it's a rare case when someone is actually caught, extradition actually happened, prosecution actually happened, and they actually got jail time. Okay. Uh, a huge leak on, online was called Blue Leaks, was put out on the interweb last week. Uh, this is the latest from a group called the Distributed Denial of Secrets Group. A great name. Uh, and consisted of 270 gigs of data from various U.S. police departments. The claim was this was, from, was 10 years worth of data from over 200 different police fusion and other law enforcement centers. Uh, Krebs on Security confirmed uh, the data with the National Fusion Center Association, and it does include emails, bank accounts, all sorts of OSINT info. There's a huge list of all the different kinds of things that were included because police collect all sorts of information. Uh, apparently, the leak was caused by NetSentiel, not to be confused with NetSentinel, but NetSentiel, who provides web services to law enforcement. The compromise was caused by a, uh, a, a, a compromised customer account, and, and up the upload feature allowed them to push malicious content onto the website, which allowed for a massive exfiltration of this fusion center. Uh, when we return, the hottest hacker in the desert and once by accident called RET. Um, we'll talk about uh, auctioning off your data online. We call him Jason Wood, and he is back, so stick around. The question is simple. Have any of the systems on my network been compromised? The answer is harder than it should be. Enter AI Hunter. Active Countermeasures has automated and streamlined techniques used by the best pen testers and threat hunters in the industry to create AI Hunter, a network threat hunting solution that does the first pass of a hunt for you to identify systems that are most likely to be compromised and scores the results on a scale from 0 to 100. You can then research those systems in depth with AI Hunter. Focus your valuable time on the systems that need your expertise with AI Hunter. Sign up for a personal demo today at securityweekly.com forward slash ACM. Yay, we're back. And Jason is going to join us now to talk about Rebel Ransomware Gang and their auction features on their site. I, I just love how these, these sites are evolving into like a whole industry. Pretty soon it'll be like marketing and media consultants for, you know, like getting oh, yeah. pop-up ads and whatever. Hi, Jason. Hey, Doc. Good to be back with you. And yeah, everybody else. We missed everybody. We missed you. You've been you've been away for a few weeks, and uh, yeah, I've been hiding out, uh, waiting for my chance to come back. And <laughs> you know what? We get to come back with one that I find to be uh, interesting to me and a little funny. Um, funny because, well, we're talking about Pinchy Spider, as they're affectionately known, and I like saying Pinchy Spider. I love that name. Yeah, it, it makes me laugh pretty much every time I see it. But they are an interesting group. Um, you know, I so one of the things I do with work is I deal with a lot of what we call e-crime type of activity, and you see a lot of intrusions due to that. And it's been interesting to me to read and watch how these operations are evolving and how they're taking existing business models that we would think of, you know, for legitimate type of organizations and applying it to what they do, which is like very illegal. Um, so it's not like they're doing, inventing something new, but just how they're using it is, is kind of interesting. And the latest one here is, uh, an evolution in pinchy spiders, uh, ransomware as a service operation, uh, that allows them to, you know, gives them another venue to make money. So they started off on offering their ransomware as a service, uh, affectionately known as Revil or, or so did Kenobi, help me Obi-Wan Kenobi. Um, <laughs> Uh, I, I can never pronounce it. Uh, they, 
anyhow, that that's the ransomware that they they run, and they provide all the infrastructure to people who want to deploy this ransomware, and they take a cut of each ransom. Well, people stop or slowing down on paying, so they said, okay, well, how are we going to make some money on this? Let's uh, we'll we'll tell the people that you know if they don't give us uh, the ransom, we'll release their data publicly, and you know, so they started doing that. And, you know, maybe that didn't work as well as they hoped or something or other. Now they've decided to move into auctioning data off to other third parties, you know, who weren't involved in the breach to see if they're interested. Uh, so now that, you know, they have the, the ransom and, and now the, the auction that goes into this as well. So about a month ago is when Pinchy uh, released this new innovation, in quotes, Uh to to earn out some money from their intrusions or intrusions conducted on their platform. And uh, what they're doing now is, you know, they're looking at some of this data that they're picking up and we, you know, they'll call it big game hunting where I work, uh, going for s- important data to the organization, not just locking up whichever system they can get onto. They, st- they steal this data as part of the their ransom operation uh, theoretically, I guess, to say, hey, we could release it publicly. And then somebody said, hey, let's just auction it off. So how does this work? Well, according to the Threat Post article in the, the show notes, um, Pinchy basically puts the data up for auction with a minimum bid and kind of what our eBay-like buy now button, uh, except it's a, uh, a blitz price is what they call it, uh, to, to, to buy the data. And the amount of money that the data goes for varies depending on what it is. If I'm a buyer and I decide that I want to buy this data and I've got loads of money to steal it, or excuse me, loads of money to spend on it, um, I go to their their uh, tour site and I, I solve a caption and it gives me a, uh, a set of one-time credentials to access the auction house. And you know the, the site looks actually, I saw some screenshots I saw look very uh, it's not very fancy. Yeah, it doesn't look very pretty, but it works. Uh, and you get a Monero wallet address to send money to. To place a bid, you know, you let's say if I'm going to bid on the low, the the minimum, right? Uh, I'm going to go place place a bid. I've got to go put 10% of the uh, that my bid amount in that Monero uh, wallet. So if, for example, uh, a minimum bid was fifty thousand dollars in uh, Monero cryptocurrency, I need to put in $5,000 to, you know, show that I'm serious about making this bid. That gets rid of, you know, fraudulent binner, bidders and stuff like that, which I'm looking at going, all right, let me see. So I need to give a criminal group uh, access to 10% of my bid, and I'm going to hope that I get it back if I get outbid, because supposedly that's coming back to me if I when that happens. Yeah, I don't think i feel real comfortable with that um but you know the auction continues just like an ebay auction or any other auction site goes for a period of time whoever has the highest bid at the end of the uh the period or whoever put in the blitz price get the uh get the data assuming that they deliver the rest of you know the other 90 percent of their their bid right um so what kind of money are we talking about here? I mean, how big how big is the payout for these operators? Uh, this varies. And so I just gave a couple examples here. It depends on the data being stolen. Uh, according to ThreatPost, here, here are the examples they list. 50 gigabytes of data from a U.S. law firm that include 
some kind of employee or client confidential data. All right. Uh, We don't know what's in there. It may or may not be interesting. Data bidding starts at $30,000. Blitz price, $50,000. So, you know, it's a fairly good chunk of change there, but it can go up. Uh, $1.2 billion or one, goodness gracious, $1.2 terabytes of data, not billion dollars, sorry. Uh, terabytes of data from an intellectual property law firm that has all kinds of patent information, intellectual property that you know for for secret sauce for companies and whatnot. Uh, that is more valuable. And in an in a auctions case, the starting price was one million dollars, and the blitz price was ten million dollars. Now, one of the things I, I look at this. Obviously, this is a fairly select group of buyers. I mean, we're you know. Who can use that kind of data and, and have it be worth, you know, a couple million or ten million dollars? Uh, you know, you have to be in some kind of position to actually use this data in some way that is going to benefit your organization. If you're looking at making money off it, it has to be that valuable to you. If you're a nation state, it has to further whatever goals you have, you know, enough to 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 be worth it to you. Um, and obviously, there wherever this is going to be used, there are no protections for intellectual property rights and stuff like that for Western countries. Uh, there's so there's not going to be enforcement at all. Kind of narrows down the places in the world that this can occur in. Um, so you know, obviously, the business model that Pinchy has decided to use is not new by any stretch. The idea of running an auction—I mean, eBay's been around for a really long time, and they're just kind of applying that to this. Um, but the application of that to this environment to me is really interesting. It's, it's really wild to watch how the e-crime groups are going out and trying to you know, find any way that they can to increase their earnings. And the blog post doesn't say this, but one of the questions I had was, uh, are the victims paying the ransom to get their data de-encrypted so they get it back? But because the, yeah, the Pinchy group has already stolen the data, are they turning around and then auctioning it off as well? That way they get the payment for the ransom and the payment for the data on the sale side. Um, you know, they're a criminal group and there's not like anybody can go, I mean, you can go to law enforcement and complain that it wasn't fair that you paid the ransom and then they sold your data, but um, there's really not much they're going to be able to do about it. Unless, of course, you are uh, what was this guy, Burkoff? who shows up in, in an allied nation and gets picked up by the police and extradited to the U.S. eventually. Um, you know, so it's it, one of those things you got to keep in mind, I guess, if you're in this business. But uh, still, if you're, you're hanging out in, let's say, Russia, who doesn't have an extradition agreement, uh, you can feel kind of safe as long as you don't want to travel abroad too much. Either way, these crooks are not going to lose any sleep over stealing on both ends of this. If this is your kind of article and something you're interested in, go ahead and check it out in the show notes. Uh, It's actually got a link to the vendor as well that you have to register for to get their report, which I didn't bother with because I didn't want to give them my information. Uh, But the the threat post article has some pretty good data in it. Go check it out and enjoy. It's, It's kind of fun read. Thank you, Jason. You know, the sad part for me is that in my head, all those auctions are like these evil Sotheby's auctions in Macau or something where James Bond is in the audience posing as James Stock, you know, and then they're like, <laughs> one million dollars from Mr. Schiffer, you know, and Bond is like, uh, 
hey, money, penny, how much is left in the account, you know, kind of thing. And everybody's got on dinner jack. So now it's just like a bunch of, yeah, sweaty people on, on an anonymous site. But it's really, they should do that. They should have like an evil auction house somewhere. Yeah, I got to say, I mean, the auction site does not look that sexy. Yeah. We should, we should, that's our, that's our next venture. It's going to be called JD Evil Auction House, and we'll open it in Macau or somewhere. So, you know, we can, we can invite people to come and and have, you know, that kind of an auction. Mm -hmm. We'll have to move out of where we're at because that could badly burn us. I guess. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows where we're at anyway? All right. Thanks, Jason. (laughs) Uh, Pinchy Spider. I love it. Um, Chicken melon was another one I saw yesterday I liked a lot. So, um, And finally, sad news. Segway 9Bot announced last week that they would suspend production of Segway PTs. The ubiquitous devices were originally supposed to change the whole world. And by now, we were all supposedly going to be wearing uh, spandex bodysuits and riding around instead of driving cars. And there would be no more sidewalks because all of us would be in our, like, you know, body conforming clothes and it would be awesome in this like flying car less future because we all have segways but that that was how i envisioned it in 2001 when they first introduced the thing and when i first thought i thought that's that's a pretty cool thing and i mean and it really put me in the nerd hall of fame forever when i i saw that and went wow that looks cool and then i saw that it cost six thousand dollars and i i realized well yeah i'll never have one and then, you know, it didn't seem as cool then. And then along with everyone else, and except for the tourists and the mall cops, and not to mention some early software problems, which slammed people face first into the ground, uh, it never really caught on. Uh, I did ride one around the desert in Arizona, and I rode one in Poland, and, uh, and it was actually fun, and it seemed kind of cool, even though it's probably not. Uh, but that's it for the PT. Segway said that it represented less than 1.5% of their sales, and they wanted to focus on hipster scooter type things that they were making, a little two-wheel scooters and all those instead. So sorry, Segway. Alas, we never knew you. Uh, and those spandex bodysuits, I was really counting on that, but I guess we're, I'll just have to keep mine in the closet for now. And that's the news in the time of plague. I'm Doug White. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Security Weekly News. We'll see you on Friday with the Security Weekly News wrap-up.